I love that song. That song is so good. One of the reasons I love that song is because it speaks to a question that all of us at one point in time ask. Who am I? What is my value? What is my worth? Where do I find my dignity? Who am I? And the song reminds us that it's not our failures that define us. It's not our experiences. It's not the things that we've done or the things that have been done to us. Rather, it's Jesus who defines who we are. We're actually talking about that today. Uh, today's going to be a little bit different. Don and I are going to do a little tag team here. So I'm going to do the first part. Don will do the second part as we're thinking about how it is that we find our identity. Where is our identity rooted? As we've been going through this series, Deeply Rooted, we've been asking these crucial questions. And today, as we focus on where our identity is rooted, my hope for you is this, is that you would find it in Jesus. There are so many other voices competing for our attention, but Jesus loves you so much. No matter where you've been or where you're going, he loves you. As a church family, we are stepping into a season thinking deeply about our identity, thinking deeply about our relationship with God, thinking deeply about our relationship with each other. And at the end of this month, in fact, the, I think it's the last day of the month, we are kicking off a 10-week study called Rooted. As some of you guys have seen uh, the books. Ooh, yeah, there's little, see, that's little, can you guys see that it's gold? Um, that's pretty special, right? Yeah, we painted each one by hand just for you. That's a lie. We didn't. We bought them. We bought the books. So here's the deal. Here's what we're going to be doing. As a church family, for 10 weeks, we're going to, uh, as an, uh, our whole church is going to gather in uh, smaller groups. Some of them will meet on our campus. Some will meet in homes. If you're currently in a group, many of the groups uh, are going to go through this. There's a bunch of new groups starting. There's going to be groups that meet here. Some of uh, them are going to be on Sundays, some during the week. Uh, we want to make this as accessible as possible. I think there's like 24 groups or gatherings of people that we have currently, uh, which is awesome. Thank you to those of you that have stepped up to facilitate the Rooted experience. But the reason that we're doing this is because uh, we believe that this is a foundational moment for our church family as we move into uh, what God has for us this year and beyond. We believe that as we all collectively go through this Rooted experience, not only will we learn more about what Jesus teaches, we will have many opportunities to put that into practice. And we love following Jesus. We believe that following Jesus brings life and life abundant. And so we're going to kick this uh, rooted experience off with a fiesta. It's the best way to start anything with a fiesta. Uh, if I'm not mistaken, there's going to be carne asada. And so I want to encourage you. Do, do I need to say any more? I think I'll say just a little bit more. If you have signed up for Rooted, please make a point to be there on J January 31st at 6.30. We're going to meet here. We're going to have a big fiesta. If you are about to sign up for Rooted, and by the way, you can learn more out in the lobby. There's uh, uh, postcards for you with information on how to take your next steps, or you can go to Direct and Connect and uh, ask them for your next steps on how to sign up for Rooted. Uh, if you're going to be doing that uh, this week, and, and we would really encourage that you would sign up soon so we can get enough books, make sure 
picture. Again, we're hand-painting them each with gold, so we want enough time for that. Uh, if, if you're thinking about signing up, make sure that you uh, earmark January 31st, 6.30 here for the Fiesta. If you're curious about Rooted and you're still not convinced yet, join us on the 31st. We're going to be doing an overview of the Rooted experience. We're going to be going through some of the uh, introductory steps for Rooted. Also, carne asada. If you just like to party, join us for the fiesta. It's going to be a ton of fun. We can't wait uh, to kick this off. We're really looking forward to it. Uh, if you're on the fence about uh, joining a, a Rooted group, I just want to encourage you take the chance. Not only, this is much more than a study. This is a way that we get to put into practice what Jesus teaches us. And so I would encourage you to take that next step, even today, uh, to join us for this rooted experience. Who gets to decide who you are? Where is your identity rooted? And to put it another way, if we were to sing that song again that we just heard sung, how would you fill in the blank? I am who, who says I am. Now for many of us, we've heard the song before, many of us just heard it, and we, we say, well, God, God gets to decide. Yeah, 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 great answer. And you're right. But are we telling the truth? Day by day, Moment by moment, who gets to decide who I am? Who? I am who who says I am, or what says I am. You see, there are countless voices that are screaming at us who we are. There is the voice of science, which is one way that we can fill in the blank and our scientific understanding about ourselves. And I love scientific pursuits, but do you know that our understanding uh, of, the of the sciences, as we continue to grow in our understanding, our understanding changes. Do you know that? Science continues to explore and discover, which is awesome, but it also shifts. In fact, for much of this nation's history, it was a scientific fact that people of color were worth less than people who have the skin tone that I do. It was science that said that there's a certain hierarchy of value and worth based on a person's color. And then that shifted, thank God, but the echoes of that idea haunt us to this day. If I choose to simply define myself based on my scientific understanding of how I'm wired and how all this works, I'm defining myself by something that will likely change over time. So I can't hang on to the sciences as a way to define who I am. The, the other way, and this is most common for many of us, is culture. I can let cultural expectations define who I am. And of course, we are currently living in a culture which elevates sex, money, and power as the three markers of a person's worth. As it relates to sex and sex appeal, we live in a cultural moment that basically says, if you don't have a sexual partner, you're nobody. There's even songs about it. I ain't nobody unless somebody loves me. 
In fact, most of the songs we sing are about the pursuit of or the disappointment in a sexual partner because we're convincing ourselves that's what's going to give my life meaning, purpose, and value. That's what's going to define me. I'm a, I'm a husband. I'm a wife. I'm a lover. We live in a cultural moment. I mean, even think about the language that we use. We say things like this. So if I was just to define myself, describe myself, I would say, I am, I am, is a defining statement. I am a husband. I am a dad. I am a pastor. And most importantly, I am a Dallas Cowboys fan, through and through. All four of those things are of equal worth. Amen? Tell me, pray for me. But think about how we use our language. I am. Is that who I am? Because here's the deal. If I'm no longer married, I am not a husband. And so am I nobody? Or let's say that my kids are taken from me. Now I'm not a dad. Does that mean I am nobody? Or if I, you know, especially after the Cowboys comment, lose my job. Does that mean, and I'm not a pastor anymore, does that mean I am nothing? Actually, I would encourage you to think about how you even say who you are. And some of you have picked this up. When I'm introduced, some people will say, this is Pastor Caleb. And I, and I appreciate that, and I, I, I get that. And they'll say, he's a pastor. The way I prefer, and I, I'm just trying to remind myself, is I'll say, yeah, my name's Caleb, and I currently serve as a pastor. Because one day, I probably won't. But that doesn't mean who I am changes. You all with me? And so I can look to the sciences. I can look to cultural expectations to define me. I can look to the people in my life to define me. But of course, that's shifting too. When are you gonna? When are you gonna? When are you going to finally be somebody? You see, the people in our life, especially those that are closest to us, can sometimes ask questions that form who we are. Or sometimes they'll make direct statements. I'm disappointed in you. You're not good. You're not good at this. You're whatever it might be. And I can listen to the voices around me, the people in my life, And so sometimes that's well-meaning friends who just misspeak. Has that ever happened to you? Sometimes it's frenemies who I need to deal with and think through and reconcile with. Sometimes it's abusers. If I look to the people who surround me and hang my identity on them, if I find my identity, if I let them fill in the blank, then I'm giving over a great deal of power to people who are fallible, to people who will change, to people who will change their minds. But science doesn't define me, culture doesn't define me, and the people in my life, even even though it feels like they do, they don't get to define me. At the end of the day, my maker defines me the king and creator of the universe, who has given his life for me, who's conquered over Satan, sin, and death, 
stands victorious over the grave. It is Jesus that defines me. By the way, that's why we sing about it. Because when we think deeply about it, what can we do but sing? I am who Jesus says I am. And you know what I got to tell myself over and over? Campbell, don't you forget it. How about you? For those of you that follow after Jesus, is this hard to remember sometimes? Come on, talk to me now. When those other voices are screaming at us, isn't this difficult to remember? Isn't that song oftentimes really difficult to sing? For those of us that are still trying to figure out who Jesus is, maybe one of the reasons you're here today is because you don't know how to fill in the blank. And I just want to appeal to you. I'm not trying to pressure you. I'm not trying to sell you on anything. But man, Jesus loves you so much. You are not here by mistake. You are most welcome here. You are right where you are supposed to be. And if you take anything away today, it's this. We want to show you Jesus. I know that there are Christians in this community. There are Christians in this culture. There are Christians in this room that don't often live like Jesus. I know that. I'm probably the worst offender. But please do not let the failings of those that follow Jesus shape your understanding of who Jesus is or his love for you. He loves you so much. And that's why we turn to him to find our identity. So three things, and then I'm going to turn it over to Don. In Genesis 1, it says this. So I want everyone to take a big deep breath in. Three things, three ways that Jesus articulates who we are. If you were to ask the question, who, I am who, who says I am? If the answer is Jesus, then what does that mean? Three key things. Number one, in Genesis 1.27 it says this, God created humanity in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. There is not a person that has existed or will exist that is worthless. There is not a person that God has made that has no dignity or no value. Every single person has inherent dignity, worth, and value. Not because of the things that they've done, not because of the things that have happened to them, but simply because they are made special in the image and likeness of God. When we curse each other, when we do violence to each other, we curse and do violence to the image bearers of God. And so we must be careful when we curse and do violence. But more than that, when we think of ourselves, we must first, even even though we know we're broken, even though we know we failed, we are told, You are made with purpose and value and dignity. You are made out of love. You are made because, listen, 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 listen. So important. You are made because God delighted to create you. He delights in you. He loves you so much. You are made in the image and likeness of God. Second thing. John 1. Speaking of Jesus, this is what one of the first followers of Jesus is kind of meditating on who Jesus is and how that impacts our lives. And he says this, 
Speaking of Jesus, he was in the world and the world was created through him. Think about that. Here's God in the flesh, the very world he created, he entered into, and yet the world did not recognize him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, he gave them the right to be what? Children of, who am I? I'm a child of God. Why? Because of all the good stuff I did? Because I cleaned up my act? Because I got all, my, all the religious answers right? Is that what this text says? So John, who's meditating on the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, says it's not because we did, we checked all the boxes that we get to be called children of God. It's because of Jesus that we get to be called children of God. Do you see it? And I want you to know that he loves you so much. He's a good father. I know that many of us had absent or horrible fathers, but I want you to know that God is a good father. And he loves you not because of the things that you do. I want you to think for a second. So I currently serve as a dad. Put practice what I preach. And if my uh, child, let's say my oldest, if she came up to me and said, Dad, <clears throat> here's all the stuff I did today. I did my homework, uh, which you're frequently encouraging me to do at, at a high volume. I cleaned my room. I did the laundry. I baked you a nice bacon quiche. I plastered the living room with Dallas Cowboys wallpaper. Now do you love me? Dad, now will you love me? And I know that some of us had dads like that, but God is not a dad like that. No, he loves you not because of the things that you do. You have the right to be a child of God because of what Jesus has done, his finished work on the cross, his death, burial, and resurrection. Who am I? I'm made in the image of God. Who am I? I'm a child of God, not because of what I've done, but because of what Jesus has done. And third, you are loved unconditionally. I want you to see, so this is a, a, a letter that one of the early followers of Jesus, his name was Paul, he wrote, he was meditating on and praying through how Jesus impacts our lives, and this is what he says. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, so if they have a relationship with Jesus, they are a what? They're a new creation. The old has passed away, and see, the new has come. Everything is from God, who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ, and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. It's not because of the things that I've done. It's not because I checked all the boxes. No, I'm a new creation. Jesus loves me in spite of the things I've done. I want you to know something today. I want you to know that you've never surprised God. There are many of us who are here today saying, I can't bring myself to say I'm a child of God or I'm loved by God. And I want you to know that he loves you so much and you're not hiding anything from him. When Jesus said the words, I love you and I'll never leave you or forsake you, he said it knowing full well all the dirt, all the brokenness, all the shame. He knows you. God is closer to you than you are to yourself. You are not far from him. Turn to him. He loves you so much. How do you define yourself? Where is your identity rooted? I'm going to ask my friend Don to come and share and help us apply this truth to our lives.
So for most of my life, I hated me. It started when I was a kid and my grandma said that I had the biggest feet of any infant she had ever seen. And I was worried about my feet ever since then. And then my mom told me I was way too bossy. And my dad said no man would ever want to marry me. And my supervisor had said just keep your ideas to yourself. And my abuser that said you are worthless. And my pastor that said that I could only lead in kids' ministry. And then myself that said, why could God ever love someone like me? Maybe some of you can relate. In fact, I know that you can. Pastor Caleb asked, who gets to say who you are? He talked about science and culture and other people and how those are just based on public opinion. Think about it. At one point in time, scientists said that we were the center of the universe. The earth was the center of the universe. And I'm thankful that scientists proved that that's not true. At one point in time, in certain cultures, it was fashionable for men to wear wigs and women to wear corsets. And I'm really thankful that we don't do that anymore. But you know what? Fashion always comes back around. And then I've got people in my life right now that said that I should be a Dallas Cowboys fan. <laughs> but you know what? Those are all based on public opinion. And public opinion changes. It's not strong enough to hold our identity. So who gets to say who you are? Well, some of us would say, I get to decide who I am, right? And in our individualistic society, that makes perfect sense. But let me tell you, most often we base those identities, the things that we say we are, are based on external voices. And that's because often our internal thought process about ourselves is influenced by these outside voices. And you know why? Because we're a communal people. God made us to be in relationship with others and with God. But sometimes I fall into the trap of this arrogance that I get to decide who I am. But honestly, it's not how we were made. And then sometimes I fall into the trap of measuring myself against other great people in my life. People who have done amazing things. People that I really look up to. And I start to base my value on what they do. But think about that. I think I'm a pretty compassionate person until I start thinking about Mother Teresa and then there's not a compassionate bone in my body. And then I think I'm a really empowered leader until I read the works of Martin Luther King Jr. And there's just no comparison. And then I think I'm a pretty good singer until I stand next to Danny Hunkin, and then I start lip singing slowly. <laughs> and then I think I'm really good at sitting with people who are hurting until I get to watch one of our amazing volunteers, Diane Bradley, who sits with grieving people at part of our funeral ministry, and it's just beautiful. When I start basing my identity on who I want to look like, I'll never live up to that. But oftentimes, when we see these people who are doing amazing things, we're motivated and we're inspired, and that's really good. 
we need to be challenged to be better people. It's really destructive, though, when we start making it about our core identity, right? When we start measuring up to other people, we just can't do it. And so then we start thinking, I must have no value because I'm not as valuable as Mother Teresa. The world doesn't need me. But we're so desperate to be valued and loved. So then we start constructing these masks that we put over our true identity so that the world will see this and not see this, right? But then I think of this great quote from some local pastors who wrote a book called The Cure. It says, when I wear a mask, only my mask receives love. As long as we are behind a mask, any mask, we will not be able to receive love. Then in our desperation to be loved, we'll rush, rush to fashion more masks, hoping that this next mask will give us what we're longing for, to be known, to be accepted, and to be loved. What that says is when we put this mask in front of us, hoping that that will get us the love we desire, the mask gets the love, not us. But when we remove that mask and we show our true identity, that's when we can really experience that acceptance and trust and love that we so long for. So what does it look like to embrace the identity that God has given us? To take off that mask and live in light of how Jesus talks about us and defines us. What would it look like? Have you ever thought about this? What would it look like if I spent a whole day not paying attention or not listening to the stereotypes of science or the expectations of the culture or what other people say I should be and just be free to be me? So a couple years ago, I was completely fed up. I was done and I was sitting in my car and I was yelling at God. I mean, really yelling at God. I was saying, God, I know that in Jesus I'm supposed to be free, but I feel trapped all the time. Here's the truth. I was still listening to all these other voices in my head. And listen, I knew all the right answers. I knew what the Bible said. I worked in a church. But I couldn't hold on to that truth. And so then I decided to try an experiment. Like, okay, fine. If this is true, if all these things that Jesus say about me are true, then I'm going to start comparing them to every voice that tells me what I should be. And so I held on to these three things that Caleb mentioned earlier. One, I am made in the image of God. I'm a child of God. And I am unconditionally loved. Compared to every other voice. So here's a little bit about what that looks like. First, I'm created in the image of God. And I started thinking, okay, for most of us, for some of us, we believe that we are created by God. And what that means is that God's the creator and I'm the creation. Almost like God's an artist. And then I started thinking about the artists that I have in my life. I have a couple that live in my house. And there's this really interesting thing that happens. When they get inspired to create, it does not matter what we are doing. We could be watching a movie as a family. We could be in a really deep conversation. They have to stop everything and go create this inspiration that they've had. It's amazing to watch. It's almost like there's a part of them that has to get out to be displayed to the world. And if they hold it in, it's almost painful to them. 
And so I started thinking about God like this. If God is an artist, what if God had this great inspiration to create me? And he just had to create me. And he created me with intention and purpose. And when he was done, he was so proud of what he created. What would that feel like? <sighs> what if God created you too with purpose and intention and he's proud of what he created? What would that feel like? But I imagine some of you, just like me, are sitting there saying, I'm a broken mess. And you know what? It's probably true. But you know what? That's not the core of who you are. Your identity is not based on your brokenness. That's not how God made us. And do you know why? Because of Jesus. Because of Jesus, we get to ignore every one of those demoralizing voices that say who they think we are and really hold on and love the creation of God. And that includes us. We can love who God made us to be, despite all of that brokenness. We are made in the image of God. And you know what? We're also a child of God. One of my favorite verses says, See what great love the Father has given us, that we should be called God's children, and we are, exclamation point. Literally, it has, and we are, exclamation point. It's almost as if the author thought, I might need to add a little bit of emphasis here. Think about it. If we're designed with intention and purpose, a unique creation of the creator, that might mean that each of us have unique gifts and talents and desires based on that design by our creator. But look, what happens when we start deciding that everyone should look and act the same? then we greatly limit the beautiful diversity of God's creation. Jesus himself didn't fit into these molds that people expected of him. In fact, he often contradicted those expectations and those labels. And sometimes we are afraid to do that, and I'm not sure why. So here's a very practical example. It's a confession. I am a woman, and I do not like to cook meals for the sick. You okay? <laughs> it's not that I don't care about the sick. It's just, one, I'm not really a good cook. And two, I don't think it's nice to give sick people things that might make them miserable. <laughs> but here's what I found. You know what? God has created lots of men and women out there who love to cook meals for the sick. And so because of that, I can maybe consider the fact that, you know what? God doesn't need me to create meals for the sick. And two, maybe he didn't design me to create meals for the sick. That's a very basic, silly example. But here's another one. We have some amazing men here in Desert Springs that serve in our adventure kids, helping out with babies and toddlers. And I'm always amazed because I used to work for another church in the children's ministry, and we would need volunteers, and we would never once consider to ask the men in our church because it was just a cultural expectation that men weren't designed to do children's ministry. I am so thankful for the men here who serve in our kids' ministry. We're a better church family because they're willing to live out their faithful, true selves and serve in that way. But some of you might be saying, you know what, I don't know why God made me or how I was designed. 
And I get that. It's been a long road for me to get to this place. Ann Voskamp says, all new life comes out of dark places. I think in order to accept God's identity of us, sometimes it takes confronting those dark, painful places that create a false identity. For some people, it's really easy. You just decide. Like, you're hearing us talk today, and you're like, yep, I'm not going to listen anymore to those voices of science and culture and other people. I got this. But then there's others like me, who maybe those voices are just a little bit deeper, and they've got deep roots, the voices of abusers or family that abandoned us or friends that have betrayed us. And we need just a little bit more. Here's the awesome thing. God did not design us to do this alone. For me, I sought out help. And some of that help looked like just a really good friend who constantly reminded me of my identity in Jesus and still does to this day. And then sometimes I would plug into ministries like Celebrate Recovery or Mending the Soul that would help me fight those dark voices. And then there were moments where I needed professional help to see a counselor. If you hear nothing else today from me, hear that you are not alone. You do not have to fight these battles alone. God didn't design us that way. We are the children of God, and we are unconditionally loved. Adele Calhoun says, love is not a depletable quality of God. What if that's true? What if after I say something horrible to another human being or I do something that lacks integrity or I just can't even figure out what God wants me to do, does he still love me? Does he get sick of me? Love is not a depletable quality of God. It's never ending. It's unconditional. Our identity is not based on what we do and God's love is also not based on what we do. But unfortunately, sometimes the shame of what we've done or what other people have called us just really, again, takes that deep root and it keeps us from being able to rest in God's love and really believe that he has unconditional love for us. Shame is insidious and it really just attacks our core and our identity. So I wanna encourage you, if you can hold on to this truth that you are loved and lovable no matter what and confront your shame with that, I promise you that shame will lose its power. Doesn't that sound amazing? You are unconditionally loved right where you are, right in this moment. You don't have to do anything else. You know, Jesus loves you so much and he wants you to know that you are a child of God. You are made in the image of God and you are unconditionally loved. You are made with dignity, worth, and value, and purpose, and you are loved by the creator. So who gets to say who you are? Let us be a people that says, I am who Jesus says I am. Let's pray. Father, I'm so incredibly thankful for your love. I'm so incredibly thankful for your love because it gives me freedom to be who you created me to be. I pray that as a people, you give us boldness to hold on to these truths, but then also to proclaim these truths and help others. God, you're so good. I'm so thankful 
that we, I can be called a child of yours. In your name, amen.